Welcome to Sword Art Illusions. This will be our Mandalorian Season 2, Episode 8 coverage for the season finale. And wow, what a finale that was. It was everything a Star Wars fan could want and more. And so much more. I cried. I'm looking down at my notes and there is a little stain from a tear. Maybe it's not a stain, maybe it's a reminder that this franchise does mean a lot to a lot of people, myself included. Before we get into that, I just wanted to say thank you to everybody who's been following along with us this season. I decided to do Mandalorian weekly recap coverage fairly late, uh, probably I think two days before the season started, and I wasn't sure how these recaps would work. Re assembling recaps, uh, getting guests together uh, on a weekly timetable can be Pretty stressful, and uh, I, I figured I just wanted to do it solo, talk about the things that I like, the weird tangents and all of that stuff, bringing my Star Wars expertise to the to the fold, and I've had a lot of fun doing it. I hope you've had a lot of fun. If you've enjoyed these recaps, please consider leaving a five-star review on Apple or wherever wherever you get your podcast. That would be really helpful for the show. And without further ado, let us dive into the episode... And we'll start off uh, at that at the shuttle where we have Dr. Pershing. And I guess even though Mando knows how to send a message to Moth Gideon's light cruiser, uh, we stop at the shuttle to get some uh, recon or... I don't really 100% know what they were going for with that dynamic, but... It made for good TV seeing Boba Fett take care of the shuttle, hit it with an ion cannon, and then in about five seconds we have Mando and we have Cardoon. And uh, they, between this and then the following scene where Bo-Katan, her affiliate, her associate, know that Boba Fett is, uh, I guess they don't really know that he's Django's son, but they know that he is the uh, genetic clone of Django, that Django wasn't his father, but his donor, and they share some words. Between this and then you have the shuttle pilot who knows that Cardoon was on Alderaan, he was on the Death Star, they want to do a clerk's reenactment of the whole... Yeah, a lot of people died. A lot of innocent, seemingly innocent civilians died working on the Death Star. This episode decides, hey, let's do that. I mean, this is something that fans have been joking, debating about for really uh, at least 30, probably really since, since Jedi. I'm not sure how much people cared about it at the beginning of... Star Wars, it was probably more apparent when the Death Star 2 was blown up because that was still very actively under construction. So we can assume that some of those people were nice, innocent contractors, and they all died. And this super young shuttle pilot claims that he was on it. He claims to have been there when Alderaan was blown up. But we can't verify that because he, uh, he gets killed. I don't know. I mean, I don't want to nitpick on that. I think I honestly, if you read if you read my written recap, you'll see that I called this the greatest single installment, greatest chapter of Star Wars since Empire Strikes Back, and I mean that. But that also doesn't really change the fact that this is Star Wars, where, I mean, apparently everybody knows everybody else. This is a huge galaxy, and yet everybody seems to know everybody else. We do get a fun sequence where Boba Fett gets a chance to shine uh, over these past few episodes since his debut. We've had two episodes. He really hasn't done a lot. And I get it. You know, the show doesn't really need another helmeted male action hero alongside Mando. But 
He's been flying the ship. That's pretty much all he's done. He can't take his helmet. He he couldn't go with Bill Burr last week because they'd recognize him. But, uh, you know, that was fun. And then Dr. Pershing, he, he totally... Maybe it's because the show had a lot of other things to do that that were, frankly, better. But very quickly, he's like, okay, you know what? I'm just going to help you. These dark troopers, you really don't want to mess with them. The light cruiser... This is a mess. I'm going to be sincere. We don't really know why he's going to be sincere. In fact, we don't really super know what Dr. Pershing is even supposed to bring to this table. It didn't really seem like last episode they were like, oh, we have to go to these plans to find Dr. Pershing, who will then take us to Moth Gideon. No, I mean, the whole plan was supposed to figure out where Moth Gideon was. So I don't really know what he brings to the... I don't really know why he's there, but uh, that's fine. I... We got to, we got to, we got to have the, I mean, if you're also, if you're somebody who doesn't really know a ton about, uh, dark troopers, I, I, I don't really, whether they're droids, whether they're, I mean, they, I think really the, the only reason they were hyping up the fact that they were droids was because the whole thing kind of seemed like it was taken straight out of the Terminator. I mean, that was a lot of fun, the whole airlock sequence and Boba Fett getting, I mean, not Boba Fett, Mando getting his face pummeled in and then using the flamethrower that was all fun we're getting a little ahead of ourselves because we have the great plan and now Bo-Katan Bo-Katan also to get even uh, a little further ahead than that Bo-Katan decides that she's going to join their little ragtag team who mostly are just kind of working out of affection for the little guy Kara and to a lesser extent I guess Fennec I mean her whole rationale I mean they were she and Boba Fett were responsible kind of for for Bo- uh, the Gragu getting captured in the first place, but then we have Bo-Katan. I mean, they're 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 not the most logical. They're both Mandalorians, but they're from different sects and sex, not S E X S E C T S E C T S. There we go. There we go. We did it. They're uh, they're kind of transactional allies. Bo-Katan. I mean, she was kind of shady the last time they boarded the ship. She didn't really tell them everything, but uh, they they need the. They get her on board for the light cruiser. They're gonna give Mando's gonna give her the ship in exchange for their help, which I guess was needed. And then they get on the they get on the ship, and uh, apparently that light cruiser only has one shuttle dock to go in. Although maybe they were just lo- looking to clog that hole so that Boba Fett had less Tie Fighters to uh, evade when he was escaping. I don't know. I mean that whole sequence was pretty fun, but. The idea that the only TIE Fighters on the ship have to launch one by one through that little uh, little opening in the front. That I mean, you really have to fly a straight line out of that thing. If you ding the, the side of the light cruiser on your way out, if you're a TIE Fighter, that could be a lot of trouble. And Moff Gideon is kind of instantly knowing what's up. I mean, their whole plan, they have a, the element of surprise very briefly. I guess really up to the point where they can get on the ship and then... It's just uh, a free-for-all there, a lot of uh, laser blasting. Between Bo-Katan, her friend Bosca, we have Fennec, and Kara. It's four girls and Mando are on the, the boarding party. And the show did manage to create, they were definitely 100% going for the kind of the girl power vibes that the Avengers was doing with the, the scene during the big battle at the end. It worked here, and it worked here in a way that it didn't work in Endgame because Endgame was basically required you to ignore the fact that women have not really been a big part of the MCU until very, very recently. 
you know the having Scarlet Witch and Captain Marvel. These are these are more recent creations uh, of a very male dominated atmosphere. Mandalorian, pretty much from the get go, having Kara and Fennec, and we've had a ton of really great female characters. And in fact, we had more female characters than the show even used because we didn't have Ahsoka Tanao in in the finale. We had a bunch of they they were able to make a female dominated. Uh, boarding party that didn't even include all the women they have on the show so that that was a, a lot of fun it was a lot of fun to see mando do this kind of shoot him out the airlock kind of thing from aliens uh while also doing terminator i mean a lot of, i i wonder if james cameron watched this episode because it seemed like a lot of homages to his work between aliens and the terminator and then we get to I mean we get we get the we get the showdown between Mando and Boss uh Moff Gideon pretty quickly. And Moff Gideon is is not an idiot. He goes there, he's got dark saber, he's threatening Baby Yoda and his first inclination is to say, "Gee, I know everything. By the way, Bo-Katan is not your friend." And I think that really is this episode had a lot more uh, table setting for next season than I was expecting, but I, I think they really did do a good job of, of driving home the idea that Moff Gideon is full of shit about a lot of stuff, but he's probably right about that. Mando and Bo-Katan are not seemingly destined to be friends for much longer than this. They have a very transactional relationship. And then, of course, then he decides he's going to be kind of stupid. He knows that Mando can't shoot any more missiles out of his uh, arm gun, his little wrist wrist, wrist rocket. <laughs> he says, you know, okay, I have my midi-chlorians. Take Raku and go. And then he decides, gee, I'm gonna, I'm gonna hit him in the back with this. He knows a lot about Darksaber. He doesn't know that if you hit Beskar, and, I mean, that, that, that uh, jetpack of his is made of pure Beskar because that thing does not, it makes a little ding and that's about it. And then they have a they have a sword battle with Mando with the Beskar spear, and you've got Darksaber. That battle went on for just the right amount of time before it got a little ridiculous. So you have this bounty hunter, albeit one who got his head smashed in by the Dark Trooper, but you have a you have a bounty hunter against an old man who is not in tune with the Force. It is a strong bounty hunter in his prime battling an old man. And he should be able to beat the old man pretty pretty damn easily. And he does, after a little bit of time. And of course, I mean, we should be treated to a, a good action sequence. Giancarlo Esposito should get his chance to shine. Is it ridiculous that Mando spared Moff Gideon? The answer to that is is probably a resounding yes. I mean, from from one angle, you could maybe take the perspective that uh, Mando would get a lot of great goodwill from the New Republic by having Kara deliver Moff Gideon alive. That's probably true, but I mean, Mando, Marvel, Disney, uh, they really de-emphasize. You're really not supposed to kill in a lot of this stuff. They really don't like to emphasize that. But I mean, this is Star Wars. You beat him at the end of the battle. I mean, you don't you don't kill a defenseless guy after you've disarmed him. And Giancarlo Esposito is a really really good villain. But time time will tell if it was a ridiculous. If you're this kind of show, and they didn't kill anybody in this episode, but if you're this kind of show and you've got a villain like Moth Gideon, 
there is a certain inclination that you don't want to just take that guy off the board. That's a he's a valuable, especially if you're going to do Grand Admiral Thrawn later. He's a valuable guy to keep on the table. The question is, what do they do with him next? Does he escape? Does he, you know, do we get a redux of Moff Gideon Bad? I mean, at that point, you are kind of tumbling into uh, Law of Diminishing Returns kind of territory. We're not there yet. We don't know. And and I'll say this. If you listen to our earlier recaps, I do kind of... I, I had problems with the pacing right at the beginning. I had problems with the emphasis on rock planets early on. This show has done a good job of kind of self-internalizing some of its issues and moving away from them. They didn't just stay on piles of rocks for the whole season. They didn't... The pacing picked up in a way that I totally would not have seen at the beginning of the season. So, I mean, maybe Moth Gideon will just be there to provide valuable information about Grand Amrothon later. We just, we don't know. And maybe keeping him alive, and, uh, I mean, it was stupid kind of early on later, because he gets the blaster. You've got all these dead... (laughs) Kind of the most, the funniest thing about the interaction with uh, Luke, and then you've got the scene where... Uh, Gragu is deciding he he's not quite on board with the idea of leaving just yet. You've got that just super super beautiful touching scene between the two of them, or the, really the three of them, and then there's that dead stormtrooper that's just over Mando's shoulder, just there the whole time. But <laughs> that we're getting a little bit ahead of ourselves. They get to the bridge, and uh, those all those dark troopers that were sent out of the airlock, they've come back. And Moff Gideon is really happy. I mean, if you're the dark trooper and you're kind of liberated, wouldn't would would you would you want to listen to Moff Gideon again? I I don't really his whole uh, his whole plan for getting them to be on his side. I don't know. I mean, that maybe I'm nitpicking a little bit. But we see the X-wing, and there had been all this all this speculation over who the who Chekhov's Jedi was going to be after Gragu. Put out the call on uh, Tynoth to uh, get a Jedi, and a lot of people thought it was Mace Windu. I was holding out hope that it was uh, going to be Quinlan Voss, who's uh, kind of a cult hero among sort of the... I could see what's kind of... He was actually in Phantom Menace briefly, not really a speaking role, but he was there, and he was identified as being there in Mos Eisley when, when Jar Jar had the brief encounter with Sebulba after taking that little uh, fish thing without paying for it, but uh, don't want to get too too sidetracked on that thought, but uh, some other people, I mean, Mace Windu was a big one. Uh, some people thought it was going to be Cal from the Jedi Fallen Order game. I really, that game sucks, so it's way too hard, and it's an EA. EA has done a disaster with the Star Wars franchise. I mean, Battlefront 2 is okay, but again, I don't want to get too sidetracked. There were a lot of people who thought it was going to be Luke. I thought that that was probably the... And that was that was the coolest reveal. I think it was cooler to see Luke Skywalker than Mace Windu. I'll be honest. And the CGI, they did a great job. You had uh, an actor, Max Lloyd-Jones, who was playing the... He was basically being the body double. I mean, so... There are so many people who get really annoyed over the way The Last Jedi handled Luke. I actually, I mean, I'm not one of those people. I think they did a really great job. There, Mark Hamill will be forever annoyed that he wasn't the lightsaber-wielding hero, that he didn't jump in at the last... He, he said, he said, you know, if I'd written the script, Luke would have jumped in and saved Han Solo at the last minute. 
I mean, okay, that may have been better, but Mark Hamill is not an action star anymore. He's old. He's not in great shape. He is... Luke, it, it, it is a tragedy that we never got to see Jedi Master Skywalker in his prime after Return of the Jedi. We didn't see it. We never got to see it. When now we got to see it, but it was a CGI uh, face. Uh, I mean, he was... As soon as soon as the X wing, that was pretty much the the tell sign that it was Luke. But then you had the green lightsaber out with the black glove, and they weren't showing his face, but it was very obvious who that was. And the music, the score was phenomenal. It was so great. And it, regardless of how you feel about the Last Jedi, if you like the Last Jedi, if you hate the Last Jedi. As a fan of the franchise, it is sad that we never really got to see Luke in his prime. In Mark Hamill's prime. And I mean, I love Mark Hamill. He's a great guy. He's great on Twitter. He's a phenomenal voice actor. I love seeing him as the trickster in uh, The Flash. He's great as the Joker in Batman the Animated Series. He's a phenomenal talent. But, I mean, he was not going to be the franchise star of the Star Wars sequel series. Disney was never going to go for that. They were never going to treat him the same way as they did even... Harrison Ford, he's just not, he's not convincing to, they didn't, they didn't do it without, if they had the CGI back in the original series with A New Hope, I, I, I think it would have looked ridiculous if Obi-Wan Kenobi as an old man was just running around mowing down everybody, it looked ridiculous when Dooku fought Yoda, when Yoda, who needs a cane to run around, needs a cane, and then suddenly he's also an Olympic level, uh, Olympic level gymnast, I don't know, that whole thing was ridiculous, but. So we have Luke. It was so beautiful. I cried. And it, it, this franchise has an unhealthy relationship with nostalgia. I've talked about it in my recap. Force Awakens was a straight, essentially a shot for shot remake. The map to Skywalker, that was ridiculous. It was ridiculous even before The Last Jedi made it even more ridiculous. Rise of Skywalker, I just watched a, a lot of it yesterday. Mess of a movie. It is practically. Having seen it, I've seen it start to finish once, and then I've seen it collectively probably three or four more times. And I can't really say that for any other installment in the franchise. No, nothing is that hard to watch start to finish again. And here, it was just, it was so beautiful. It was so, so beautiful the way that the episode blended. Healthy fan nostalgia. This is a character that we never got to see at this period of his life, and here he is, and he's in all his glory. Beautiful. Just taking them all down one by one. Luke is one with the Force, and he is there, and he is the, you know, he is the shining beacon on the hill. And he's there to, he's like the one person that can come between Gragu and Mando and have it, I mean, it's not okay to see the two of them part. You have tears in your eyes. It's sad. He doesn't want to go. And yet, at the same time, he's been putting his hand on the TV monitor. He knows that Luke is a safe guy. It was so beautiful. It was this just convergence of, okay, here is the most beloved figure in Star Wars history. And then also, here are these guys who you also have grown to love. And they're together. And everybody's sad. And it's it's... It's a really sad parting, but at the same time, it's beautiful. And and you believe Luke when he says, "I will defend, give my life to protect this child. He's going to be okay." And Mando ensures him. We all know. I have said it in past recaps that I don't think that they will permanently part for good. 
Baby Yoda is just too popular. Maybe in an earlier draft before they understood that this was their breakout character, maybe they would have not wanted to do that. There's just no way they're going to get rid of Baby Yoda. They're, they're not going to separate them permanently. But for now, there's a parting. And it was just so beautiful to have Gragu. He was just so on the fence, and he knows what he needs to do. And Mando, he takes off his helmet. And I, we were, we were probably headed this in this direction, but it still it hits so hard. This grieving man about to lose his son, Baby Yoda is his son, and he looks upon him with his own eyes. He understands that what Bo-Katan said about the radicalization of the Mandalorians—that that's probably true—and he's been coming to terms with that for a few episodes now, especially last episode. And he takes off his helmet, and it's just such a tearjerker. And Gragu is kind of on the fence, and then R2-D2 just starts... We can't understand him, and yet we know exactly what he's saying. The beeps of joy, he's elated that they're going to be together. And it's just his tearjerker. It, it was perfect. It was so... It was a way to uh, to close this chapter of The Mandalorian... Which is a show that that ha- has so many exciting new things on the horizon. They're going to really dive into the the Mandalore is probably going to take center stage. Uh, you know the the Mando's Mando's other Mandalorian friends have been kind of hiding uh, this season. We didn't really see them at all. I assume they're going to come to grips. Bo-Katan needs to win the dark saber in a battle. They're going to come to it ahead next season. There's so much. There's so many exciting things that are coming. And yet, at the same time, it was just this heartwarming, tear-jerking, and those are kind of oxymorons, but if you're listening, you you probably know exactly what I'm saying. It was this just blend of messy emotions. And, uh, like, this, this, this franchise has a complicated relationship with nostalgia. It does not always handle nostalgia all that well. And yet here, it just clicked on every single level. This was just such a joy to watch. I, I've grown, I feel like a broken record a lot when I'm talking about the action sequences. They're always really, really, really good. Here they were really good. They even did the unthinkable and they pulled off the whole girl power vibes, which Endgame just waffled on so badly. Moff Gideon was able to kind of be like Littlefinger from Game of Thrones, throwing lies. Well, he actually wasn't even telling lies. He was basically telling the truth. But they were setting up next season so well, and they did all of that. Who would have thought that you could do an effective job setting up next season while also just giving a mic drop moment for Luke and Gragu and R2 just having their kind of... It was a cinematic ending, the whole thing. And they're used to... In television, there used to be this big firewall. You're you're probably not going to see... I mean, we've seen... we, We saw Batman actually in Titans on DCU, but for years and years and years, Warner Brothers was has been uh, really, really reluctant to put Batman on the small screen because he's just a, such a cinematic draw. There used to be this seemingly permanent barrier between TV and, and movies that there were just characters you were not going to put on the small screen. You had to save them for the big screen. The big, the big joke of Marvel television for years and years and years was, oh, it's all connected. Daredevil is totally connected to the Avengers. But you were never, ever going to see Tony Stark in 
you were never going to see him in Daredevil or Jessica Jones or Runaways or Cloak of Dagger or any of that. You were, it was all connected, but it really also wasn't connected. Mandalorian, five years after Return of the Jedi, and, and this season we, we've been finally we've been seeing people from the Clone Wars, we've been seeing people like Boba Fett. This this really cemented the idea of there it, nothing is off the table anymore. We're in a new streaming era where the lines between film and and streaming and TV there is uh, it's all been blurred. You can uh, there there's basically the only thing you can expect is the complete unexpected, and that was just beautiful. There is no reason to just say oh we're gonna save Luke Skywalker for the big screen anymore. There's nothing to save him for. Sky, Skywalker saga is done. Hopefully we don't get. I, I don't really want a full CGI movie of, of Luke. Uh, I think that may get a little tiresome after a while. But uh, it was uh, it was beautiful. This was an absolutely beautiful finale and a really, really, really great season overall. I really... Uh, I, I, I was thinking that I, I really don't want to stop talking about this, this episode. And yet, I mean... So much of it was was cinematic and poetic. Uh, they, they weren't. There's. There's. I mean, the show has never really been okay. Scene by scene, let's break this down. It was just so beautiful. <laughs> just watching, wa- watching Gragu understand that this man is going to come and he's going to take you, and hopefully, hopefully Ben Solo doesn't kill him. That'd be pretty, pretty brutal. We we, we haven't seen. We'll probably. Hopefully, we'll see what's happening on the Jedi Order next year. Uh, before we close, uh, obviously, the, the post-credit scene. If you haven't seen that there is a post-credit scene, so if you haven't seen that, if you didn't know that there was an end-credit scene, please stop listening to this and go watch that real quick. Hopefully come back. But uh, th- that's enough of a spoiler warning. So we see Boba Fett returning to Jabba's palace where a uh, now pretty overweight Bib Fortuna, and Bib, Bib Fortuna was the guy that when Luke came originally in Jedi, he could like, Jabba Nawamba. And he, he talked, uh, he was kind of Jabba's, kind of like his butler, I guess. That's probably the best role. Uh, Boba Fett comes, and he's angry, and he's with Fennec, and uh, kills him and takes his seat. And then we hint that there's a book of Boba. And uh, obviously I would love to see a lot more Boba Fett. I'd, Boba Fett and Mando, seeing them together is just so, so, so cool. But uh, Boba Fett getting his own show is also extremely cool. So I'm really looking forward to that. And I like that they they just gave you, they gave you so much. This isn't the end of an era. This this is only getting a billion times bigger than it did before. And this season has not relied on filler all too much. But it, it just, it feels like we get a mic drop moment every week. And I just, I, I'm so excited for the future that it's hard to be sad that uh, that Baby Yoda and, and Mando are separated. But they'll... Uh, obviously, they'll be together. They, they can't... Gragu is not going anywhere from this show. But uh, until then... there's It's it's going to be... Uh, the, the show doesn't come back till Christmas next year. It's going to be uh, a long wait. But uh, it, it's... I've loved it. I've loved this season... I think of myself kind of as a bit of a Star Wars skeptic. I mean, I, I love I love the series. I love the comics. I, I love, love, love the, the expanded universe. But a lot of this stuff is... Uh, it, it, cater, it tries to cater too hard to nostalgia a lot of the time. And uh, that can get kind of tedious. But this just worked. This worked so well. It was so beautiful. I, I've watched this episode twice before recording... I and I barely I barely took any notes because I was just my my I I couldn't I couldn't look away. 
it was perfect. I, I really can't wait till it, it's hard to believe that we have to wait a year and we have all this other Star Wars stuff coming. It's it's all it's a very exciting time to be a fan. And on that note, uh, quick programming note actually. We will have a season two in review episode that will come out sometime the week after next. So we'll have a bit of a break. And uh, Christmas kind of... I'd be doing it... I, I'd essentially be doing... I, 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 with these kind of things, I like to uh, take a little bit of time to think about, exa- digest my thoughts, unpack them. And of course, Christmas is in less than a week, so that kind of throws everything off. So we'll be back for one more season two as a whole Mandalorian episode. Uh, that'll this will be our final episode before Christmas. That'll be our final episode before a bit of a mini. I, I want to say mini break. We do have some stuff booked for January, so I don't really think we'll be off for that long. But happy holidays, everybody! Happy Life Day! Uh, thank you so much for listening, and thank you so much for following along both in the written recaps and here. I, I really appreciate it. And uh, have, a, have a great life day, and uh, we will see you next time.